0: adventures. Before we get into this episode of Tales Unveiled, we have some exciting news to share. First off, we have a merchandise store with spooky apparel and Tales Unveiled themed goodies. You can find a link to our new store by heading to talesunveiled.com. On the book front, Jeff Provine has released two new books, Secret Oklahoma City and Haunted Oklahoma. Secret Oklahoma City is about little known facts and points of interest, while Haunted Oklahoma explores ghost stories across the state. Also, Dennis Spielman has a new book of short stories, The Phoenix Universe Volume 1, so please consider buying some stuff to support them, and enjoy this episode of Tales Unveiled.
1: This is Sam Saxon, along with Professor Joff-Durut, and you're listening to Tales Unveiled,
2: where we travel across Oklahoma for ghost stories,
1: as well as urban legends and local history. the professor and I arrived at a donut and coffee shop called Neon in Oklahoma City's Plaza District, Ryan Fogle of Wright OKC was already there drinking a coffee on the patio on the sunny morning. After exchanging pleasantries, the professor and I got our own drinks and walked with Ryan to the fabled Hatchet House. When we arrived at the corner of Northwest 18th Street and Carey Place, the owner of the house was outside currently mowing the lawn. I asked if we could interview him, but he said he was pressed for time, although he did give us some background information before returning to work. More about that conversation later. Anyway, we found a shady spot under a tree a few houses away and out of range of the lawnmower to chat with Ryan. Ryan, let's get started by getting to know you and write OKC.
3: So tell us a little bit about yourself and your business. Sure thing. So, my name is Ryan Fogel. I am an architect, and I also own a business called Ride OKC Bike Tours and Rentals. Uh, We do kind of immersive tours on bicycles throughout the city. Um, Some art and architecture is what we like to highlight, but seasonally we do like a ghost tour around Halloween, uh, led by Jeff Provine. And um, we'll also do some holiday light rides, Uh, some brewery tours, just a little bit of everything. So good for tourists, but also locals enjoy them too. And how long have you been doing Ride OKC? So Ride OKC, we started that in 2018. Um, i just come off a pretty big project uh, doing the stadium down at OU. And you know, I had to travel a lot for that job after. And uh, I was trying to find a way to stay present. So kind of started this side hustle doing uh, bike tours. And just doing freelance architecture here locally to kind of, you know, stay. <laughs> Hopefully, start a family was my goal, and it, it ended up working out. But uh, Ride OKC was kind of inspired by some of the European bike tours that my wife and I have taken on our vacations and stuff. So tell us about this, uh,
1: the Haunted Ghost Tour. What's that
3: experience like? So I mean, the Haunted Ghost Tour is like one of my favorite ones we do. Um, think like. Stranger things, or like Goonies or ET, kids on bikes. Like, we kind of ride around. We start right around dusk. So, um, you know, the tour kind of ends at night. We have lights on our bikes and we're all just kind of pedaling around in a group. Uh, We cap it at around 35 people, so it's pretty intimate. And we um, guide people around the city to different notable sites where, you know, some various hauntings or supernatural history has occurred. And, um, you know, Jeff Provine will tell some stories from uh, a lot of his books, and they're usually pretty uh, entertaining. Some of them are pretty scary, but some of them are just interesting, you know. Some of the urban legends that you hear, uh, it's just pretty fascinating stuff. Not really a jump out and scare you scary, but it definitely has some eerie feels to it. From your
2: architecture background, what can you tell us about the houses here on Cary Place?
3: Yeah, so um, Cary Place is kind of a unique little spot within um, the Gatewood District. So historic district, Gatewood started having houses built in the 1920s. And there was this one little piece of land that was kind of at a diagonal going through Gatewood that was not being used. The uh, OKC streetcar, you know, we, we have a new one now, but there was a historic one back in the... I believe 19 teens and they kind of had this strip here that they expected to use and it was a right away that just never got used and then popularity of the streetcar kind of went away so um, a builder decided to buy this and um, he thought he could turn it into like a, a housing addition so um, the houses here were all built in the 1930s and they kind of have like a Mediterranean or Spanish Mission Revival style So, a lot of, um, you know, stucco. Some of them have clay tile roof or clay tile accents. Some, uh, most of them are painted white. Very unique. Every single one of them is different. And um, it kind of reminds me of an old school Wheeler district. You know, there's high density, so pretty small lots. Uh, Most of them go up vertically instead of out. And the lots are much smaller than a typical lot. So, yeah, it's just a really unique kind of neighborhood. There's 36 houses total that make up Cary Place. And uh, the fact that it's set in an angle is kind is of kind of fun.
2: So what's the legend about the origin of the name Cary?
3: Cary. So, um, man, are you talking about the person Cary or actually the, the street? Uh, about the street. The street. So from what I understand, Cary uh, originated from... A lumber company that um, you know at the turn of the century uh, when the land run was happening there weren't a lot of um, natural resources or building materials here to uh, build new houses you know this was the Great Plains um, the wild frontier so you know the first month after the land run we just had a, a tent city basically and um, there were some out-of-state uh, I guess construction companies and Carrie, I believe, was a lumber company that shipped down some raw materials uh, so people could build homes and businesses and stuff. So um, I believe Carrie Place uh, has something to do with that.
2: But there's another story I've heard.
3: <laughs> this is true. This is also true. There is a, I believe, a nine year old girl named Carrie that. Um, either lived on the street or went to school at the end of the street, which is Gatewood Elementary. And uh, I believe there was a gruesome murder.
1: Uh, well, let's talk about that gruesome murder. We actually did talk to the owner of the Hatchet House. Uh, he was currently busy mowing his yard, so I didn't have the chance to personally chat with us. So we are gonna kind of recap some of what we learned from him real fast, briefly. So Professor, would you like to start on that story?
2: So Mr. Bowlby said that he purchased the house in the 1980s and was the third owner. So he was surprised one day to come out of the shower and hear hear a noise in the street. So he peeked out the window, finding an entire uh, arc of young ladies and young men from Oklahoma City University standing in front of the house chanting, uh, which prompted him to try to dig a little bit deeper into what was going on. So the story is that this nine-year-old girl, Carrie, was playing at the swings on Gatewood Elementary. It was, uh, it was summertime, she was home, uh, school was out, but everybody was at work, so she was just kind of had her own thing to do. And a uh, fellow walked up to her with kind of a mad look in his eye, wearing a long coat, and reached in, pulled out a hatchet, and he said, run, I'm going to kill you. And so, of course, she ran, and she ran down the street here toward her home at what is called the Hatchet House, and ran up to her neighbor's doors and knocked on him, saying, help me, help me. He said he was going to kill me, but of course, no one's home, they're all works. All work. So she, she continues to run down the uh, sidewalk until uh, she gets to a driveway that today is painted red because that's where the killer struck her and uh, her blood spatters uh, could not be covered up by any other color of paint. They would always bleed back through and so the owners finally just gave up and painted it red. Anyway, he didn't finish her off here. He dragged her down to this hatchet house as kind of a sacrifice uh, to the marks that had driven him mad and uh, finished her on the porch uh, which is also painted red because of those blood marks but uh at the end of the work day people came home and found her body there and were so distraught that they decided to name the street and and her honor as carrie place
1: all right let's talk about the architect of this hatchet house ryan since you're the architect here how would you describe it the house for our listeners
3: yeah so the hatchet house is a two-story house Uh, It's one of the bigger ones on the street here Uh, stone facade painted white and uh, Has some pretty unique characteristics the uh, shutters in particular Do actually have a a cutout in the wood uh, of a hatchet or an axe so um, The builder his name was just wolf You know supposedly that was his logo for his business or his emblem but um, there's definitely got to be some kind of connection there, right?
2: Or so the legends say. There's many different versions about it, and as you said, Carrie, of course, is named after Mr. Carry of the Carry Lumber Company. Uh, another version of the story people like to say is that little Carrie lived in this house and uh, was uh, kind of a, a bizarre uh, home-entry murder situation where a man uh, from the neighborhood had been driven mad, and uh, stormed a house looking for a victim that he needed to sacrifice to these hatchets and uh, found little Carrie hiding in the, the uh, bathroom and dragged her out to mm. sacrifice her on the porch and then drug her the other direction of the other story, uh, leaving bloodstains on the driveway and then finally finishing her at Gatewood Elementary.
3: Under the swings, right?
2: Under the swings, which uh, according to Mr. Bowlby, they, he said that one of the virgin versions of her final resting place is uh, underneath those swings, so that if you come out to Gatewood Elementary and say, Little Carrie, Little Carrie, come out to play, the swings will start moving on their own.
3: Yikes. So,
2: other people like to come to the house itself, like the bunch of folks from Oklahoma City University who were chanting, Little Carrie, Little Carrie, come out to play. Uh, and uh, she'll peek out the windows, but of course in that case it it was just Bill.
1: So let's talk about present day. now, the owners seem to kind of ham it up, if you will, and they actually shut down this entire block for Halloween, and everyone kind of gets in on the act. Uh, so you guys want to talk about that a little bit? I don't know if either of you have uh, personally uh, come down here during Halloween. I've heard some, uh, it's it's pretty, uh, quite the affair from what I've heard.
3: Yeah, I would completely agree. I, um, this little strip is so walkable, uh, and since they closed down the street, and the houses are so close together if you're a kid man you can really get some loot on the candy um, and the legend is that they have full-size candy bars Ooh, definitely coming here but of course i mean what better place to trick or treat than a place that you know grizzly murder occurred that's right scary place as they call it <laughs> scary carry yep.
2: Mm-hmm. and they say they have uh over 1200 kids every year
3: that's pretty good
1: mm-hmm. but as we've also learned this block is home to another story one involving a gangster and uh some windows so for, would one of you like to kind of recap that for our visitors our listeners
2: uh the story that goes around is that at some point usually they say the 1960s there was a gangster here in oklahoma city uh, which our urban organized crime kind of got a little bit started later than most big cities but we did have quite a few folks going around uh, performing hits in which this fellow was sitting in his living room here on Carey place and a driver came up uh, angled his gun through the window uh, shot through the glass plane killing him and drove off and the legend is that that bullet hole stayed in the glass until of course they finally replaced it and the new windows will uh, begin to crack and a hole will form where that previous bullet hole was
1: wow and according to uh bill or william uh the story is that there's kind of some dispute on which house that is uh, because there's like two people like no it's my house no it's my house so uh it again got some other interesting stories uh in this Mm. tiny little area
2: he mentioned another one uh, a block over on indiana which i've heard um bits of details i've never been able to find concrete research but uh, supposedly there was an empty lot with a grove of of trees where a witch lived that would sneak through the neighborhood and kidnap children and and perform horrible sacrifices there
3: Wow yeah lots of eerie stuff going on in this little stretch of you know just north of the plaza district here
2: a lot of good boogeymen for parents to tell children to watch out for go to bed
3: (laughs) absolutely So, I mean, what do you think could have drove um, these people to do these things in this little tiny piece of Oklahoma City?
2: I suppose a lot of it might be just having houses built so close when here in the Great Plains we're used to spreading ourselves out.
3: It's a valid point. I mean, culturally, like, we're a pretty spread out place. I mean, if you're living on top of each other like this, um, it might drive one crazy. Plus, I mean, if you're OCD, you know, we're built on a grid, and you have this weird little angled street that might kind of just, you know, irk someone a little bit.
2: We could talk about some Jungian psychology with the icon of the axe and being uh, a tool for performing rituals and things.
3: Is the axe like a satanic symbol at all?
2: Uh, It can both be destructive and constructive, so it has that kind of method of transition. Wow or it could just be a story.
1: As we began our walk back to the Plaza District, I discovered I had a voicemail from Detective Valerie James.
4: valerie i wanted to let you know that i did get a call and i'm headed out to a crime scene this looks like it is potentially part of the pattern that we've seen with our previous victims that we've met and discussed i will meet you when you give me a call and let me know where to find you thank you
1: i called valerie back and told her we would wait for her at aurora a local breakfast joint in the district as we waited the professor sprawled out wendell's map and compared points with writings in his notebook. I inquired about the map, and he explained that he was still in the middle of his research to reach any conclusions. But he added that he felt like he was onto something. As I did some work on my phone, Valerie joined us. Hey there, Valerie. We're glad you're finally able to join us here at Aurora.
4: Hi, Sam. Hi, Goth Jeff. Jeff.
2: Professor Joffe
4: Professor, it's good to see you guys. It's definitely under probably the same again.
1: pretenses as in the past two other times. Correct. Seems to be seeing you about once a month now.
2: Yes. <laughs> Fearful, um, what news you have?
4: Well, thank you for waiting for me. And um, as alluded to in my voicemail, I definitely can confirm that this is in pattern with the other two murders that we've already discussed, and it is most definitely fitting a serial killer pattern.
1: Mm. You got uh, pictures of this new victim?
4: I do, yes. So the new victim is in her mid-20s. She's positioned identically to the first two victims, and her severed arm is still positioned at 12 o'clock, on a clock, and then her extended arm is at 11.57.
2: Mm, it's Allison.
4: Yeah, Alison Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, she always wrote her unmetered poetry, no matter how much we argued about it in creative writing.
4: I'm sorry you lost another student.
1: Mm-hmm. So where was this one found?
4: So this location is at I-44 and 235 in that construction zone. And if you'll notice on this map, I actually have drawn a radius around each of the sites for each victim. So we found Chris Goldsmith here at Lake Hefner. We found Richard Hawkins here at the west side of Nichols Hills Park. And now we have found Allison Ingalls here at 244 and or I-44 and 235.
3: Hmm.
1: Yeah, that's definitely a... Sh- straight line heading somewhere. Does that look
2: like it's going anywhere to you, Professor? Uh, Seems to be leading somewhere east of the capital, I suppose.
4: Does that mean anything to either of you, location wise?
1: Mm, No, not to me. No ghost stories or anything like that? Uh, No more
2: than the governor's mansion, but...
4: Mm. I just know that George is incredibly crafty and I still have a hunch that he's behind all of this. Mm-hmm. So if it's anything that connects the two of you, just keep that in mind and be really s- just careful.
1: Wait, mm-hmm. uh, you said something earlier just had me thinking. I, I, this might sound kind of stupid, but uh, our first one, what was the first one, first guy's name again? Goldsmith Gold, is the last Golds- name. S- Chris Goldsmith. Chris Goldsmith? Gold, G. And then the other one was H. And Richard Hawkins. Hawkins, I... It's kind of sort of doing a little bit of an alphabetical order. I don't know if that's intentional or... Ooh. He's mocking
2: me, wanting me to see if I can prevent it. Go through every student with a last name, J. Mm. So
4: J is definitely next.
1: Possibly. It could be mi- maybe mixing it up, too. I don't know.
4: It could be coincidental, but it could also be worth kind of looking into and maybe warning some of your students.
2: Of course. I have some calls to make. Okay,
4: and then if you'll notice this time, the message is also different, and this is um, another reason, in my opinion, to be alarmed, or at least to be a little bit more heightened in sense of urgency, is this message appears to be written in the victim's blood, and it has been confirmed the first two victims, it was, each message was written in that victim's blood. Mm. This message isn't tick-tock-joff, it's counting down.
1: Mm. I'm counting down to midnight but it looks like but that could be counting down to a number of things
4: could be counting down to the location
2: mm. building up for dark blood magic
4: well if you either of you think of anything new please let me know and then I'll also keep you updated on anything else that we discover on our end.
1: All right. Well, thank you, Detective. We appreciate your time.
4: Thank you. Thank you for the iced
0: latte. You're welcome. Bye, guys. Tales Unveiled is a production of the show Stars Now Studios and is produced by Dennis Spielman, The voice of Sam Saxton is Dennis Spielman, with Jeff Provine as Professor Jeff DeRoot and Christy Boone as Detective Valerie James. We would like to thank all of our guests for sharing their stories with us, and note that the opinions and stories told are that of the individuals and do not reflect of their employer, affiliates, and spirits mentioned. If you love Tales Unveiled and would like to help support us, we have some spooky merchandise for sale on our website. You may also join us on Patreon for exclusive rewards. Visit talesunveiled.com to uncover more. Before we go, I would like to leave you with this quote from author Tanana reeve Du. By looking at the world through a supernatural prism, I can step back from my own real-life fears of loss and death and make them feel a little bit safer when I write stories with characters who are facing things that I'll never have to face.